But we're going to continue in our series here of First and Second Thessalonians, and we're, we're in week three of this now. It's actually going to be ten weeks total, so we're going to finish this up all the way into March. But the purpose of this series uh, really is just kind of as we're starting the new year, uh, thinking about ourselves as a church, what are our goals, what are our metrics? Um, I love these books because it really gives us that, that, that snapshot of this church and Paul and his relationship with them. And you see everything kind of working well here, that there's this hopeful, this healthy church, and, and it's a really a model for us as believers. And today, as we're kind of understanding what a healthy church looks like, uh, we understand that it means doing life together. And we're covering a lot of text today. I invite you to open up uh, to that now. First uh, Thessalonians 2, we're going to finish the chapter, and then do all of chapter 3, all, all 13 verses. Uh, but we see that, that life together is really the operative definition of what the church is supposed to be. And this is a concept that's not always associated with the church. I think uh, more often than not, especially outsiders of the church, will, will reduce uh, the church to just this place you go or this building that just kind of exists. And there's this kind of take-it-or-leave-it approach to the church. Uh, some people have these negative experiences from the organized church itself or the people in it, um, and they, they may uh, have this, uh, maybe, others maybe don't view it as this negative thing, but it's just kind of like this optional thing that if you don't make it to church this Sunday, you know, you just try your best next Sunday. If you don't make it then, you just kind of keep trying to get there when you can. And if you like this, this is the church. It's this, this place that you go to sometimes. Uh, but God never intended the church to be this way. And I think people even inside of the church start to, uh, start to uh, take on those definitions of the church as this place, or it's this schedule, and uh, it, it is reduced to the building or to the service times. And, and we think about then God, um, at some point we're going to see him face to face, and he, we're going to give an accounting for all we had done, and, and he's told us that he's entrusting the church to us, Right? And so he's not going to uh, view us face to face one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, you kept the lights on in the church. You kept the grass mode and the piano tuned. And you got together once a week to sing three songs and stay awake through a sermon and then go back to your regularly scheduled lives. When he asks us what we did with the church, it's so much more than that. And it's about doing life together. And God's desire for us, as we see in today's passage, is this deep desire to share life. It's not forced or coerced. It's something we truly want to do rooted in our love of God and our love of each other. And so today we're going to see that the, the real church is one as, that will walk together, that will sacrifice together, that will suffer together, and that will pray together. So let's read the scripture here. We're going to go through those, uh, those portions one by one. Starting in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, and person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope? our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. 
So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one who would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that when we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason... When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other as, and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. We're going to go through that, but what we see is this far cry of coming to church once a week, leaving and doing your thing and trying to get back the next week. That church is so much more than this time and the place. It's this life shared with one another. And first is this idea that when we're the church, we walk together through the thick and thin. Right? When things are tough, when things are going well, we always have this, uh, this combined effort to walk together through everything. The people are committed to God committed to one another, this community built on relationships. And church now doesn't just become this accessory or this add-on to our life. It becomes really a lifestyle. We walk together. We stick together. And we see that Paul is addressing this quick departure from this church and saying that we are orphaned from you, we're, we're separated from you. And in some ways, uh, some translations, that this, uh, he's saying that we're torn away from you. And he's making it very clear, we, we left you not because of our own choice, but because we were basically run out of town. And he knew that leaving this church was for this church's best interest. Because the issue that these people had in this town was not with the new believers, but with Paul and his associates. And he made the tough choice of, if we leave town, they have a chance here to keep going on. If we stay, we're going to become a stumbling block for many people. And he also made it clear that they didn't forget about them. Even though we're absent in the body, we have not been absent in mind. And it's unclear what efforts he had made to go back and see this church, but he was trying really hard to get back to them over and over again. In verse 18, he, he writes that we wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan blocked our way. And I think this kind of shows the efforts of our great adversary Satan, that he doesn't want us to be together, that he's going to do whatever he can to keep us apart from one another, because a church that walks together 
is stronger. And the last thing he wants is for us to be meeting, to be in fellowship, and to be walking through life together. And Paul recognized that. And I think it's important to have kind of a healthy balance when it comes uh, to spiritual warfare. Now, some would go to the extreme of there is no such thing as spiritual warfare, which is dangerous because there are spiritual forces that we have to uh, be mindful of. And others would find a demon under every bush and say every time you get a cold or stub a toe or something, that's Satan working. It That may not be true either. But there is this balance to find that when there are obstructions from the church operating at its fullest potential, it's very possible or even likely that is Satan working against the church. But we also know that all that happens is, is what God allows to happen. That though Satan is cunning and deceptive, that he does have some power, that God's wisdom and providence and strength is even greater. And through it all, day by day, moment by moment, we trust in him. That he will allow to happen what needs to happen. But then he ends this little portion with a, a really uh, wonderful and beautiful scripture. He asks this kind of rhetorical question, what is our hope, our joy, and the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Well, it's nothing inside of us. It's not my own accomplishments. It's, it's you. It's us. That you are our glory and joy. And I, I think it's this kind of this upside-down approach to what we view life as, as, as Americans, as North Americans, is we often think what matters the most and what's our greatest glory and accomplishment is what we do. The education we hold, the, the titles or the jobs that we have, our, our personal accomplishments or, or winning competitions. And Paul doesn't say, my crown of glory is my immense spiritual knowledge. No, he says, my crown of glory is what God has done through me in you. And he's this man that understands that this is really the hope, this, this young church he's working in, right? Hope is always future-focused. He understands the hope of the world is not what's going on in Paul. It's what's going on in the next generation of believers. And his crown of glory, the crown of glory that they'll share together, is them being together with Jesus one day. And that's how we need to adopt the mentality as a church, is that what matters most is not what's happening in each one of us, but what's happening in one another and how we work together. So I think the application we can draw from this is that there's a key distinction between going to a church and belonging to a church or belonging to the church. Right? When we think of church as this place you just go to once a week or once a month, depending on where you're at, we lose sight of what really the, the church is meant to be. It's this place where we belong to Christ and belong to one another. We walk through all the up and downs. And we have this, this, this tenacity to really want to do life together, know how, no matter how challenging it gets. And I realize that I'm kind of speaking, uh, preaching to the choir here. Because one thing you guys do really well is fellowship and sticking together and walking together. And many Sundays, uh, you know, it's 12.30, 1 o'clock, and I can only give so many hints of kind of, you know, jiggling my keys and turning off lights. And at some point, it's just like, okay, it's time to go home, right? Uh, but that's so different than, than my experience 
growing up, my, my experience of church was people who came uh, and, and it was a, a checklist kind of thing. Everyone was wedged towards the back, and before the surface was even over, everyone kind of peeled out, and it's to try to avoid the lions leaving the parking lot. And, and I went to the same church for 18 years, and I don't know that I knew more than six people's name. Right? It, was, it was just a different experience. And I think that's the experience a lot of people have with church, both inside and outside of the church, is they, they forget that all of it is meant to be this life we share with one another. That's where we see that church really becomes more than just the service to attend or being a name on a list of members. It's, it's belonging to God and belonging to one another. That we see God doing his work uh, in us and through us. And that we love each other in a way that, that he loves us. It's connecting with others and building those relationships. And walking through all these things together. But this kind of church is not possible with with a large amount of sacrifice. And I think that's what what keeps us from this kind of style of church, is it's going to cost you something to live a life like that with other believers. And that's exactly the second point we get to today, is that a, a church that does life together will sacrifice together. And this doesn't mean that there's just one person or one group that's making all the sacrifice and the other person will, or the other group will kind of take advantage of it. All of us are giving into this community. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 and 2 here of chapter 3. And we're going to talk about what this means for sacrifice. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who is our brother and our co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. What does that have to do with sacrifice? You're probably asking. And this is another uh, part where context is really helpful to illuminate what's actually happening in this passage. There is much sacrifice of Paul for the Thessalonian church. As we spoke about in the last couple weeks, that his visit in Thessalonica was very, very quick. And as I say that out loud, I really have to settle something here. I don't want there to be any divisions among us. All right, I found out last week uh, that I'm in the minority in the pronunciation of Thessalonica. Okay, Many people are on the Thessalonica camp. Um, both are correct. All right. Now, I was taught early on that, that either it's like an Appalachian, Appalachian kind of thing. Uh, but I just want to point out here, uh, with, with uh, the Internet being the source of all knowledge, <laughs> if you search how to pronounce Thessalonica, this is what you get. Thessalonica. I'm going to play it again here. Thessalonica. So, I just want that to settle the debate here, but I will partner with anyone on the Thessalonica uh, camp here. All right, that was trivial. I'm sorry. That's, that's a, uh. But Paul was in Thessalonica just for a short time. He was there maybe four weeks. Right? He said that he ministered to these people for three Sabbaths or three Saturdays. And then this group of devout Jews kind of gathered these riots and were, were putting these, these bogus uh, legal charges against Paul and his team. Uh, one of them and a couple of the new believers were arrested. And that's where Paul decided it was best just to kind of leave in the middle of the night. And now this church, who's, who's all kind of babies in Jesus, are left alone. They went down to Berea. They're there for some time, and they're building the church there. 
And then Paul went up to Athens and left Timothy and Silas in Berea to keep building that church. And they experienced much of the same pressures in Berea. And really, it was at this point centered around Paul. So Paul said, all right, I'll leave. I'll go to Athens. And now Paul is ministering alone in Athens, which this is a tough place to be ministering the gospel because this is, this is like the philosopher's playground, the home of Plato and Aristotle. It's a university town. It's, it's this pagan town with over 30,000 gods, and it's these very intellectual people who love to argue, and moreover, they love to win arguments. Paul's doing this alone, and this, it's in Acts where he has this, this uh, debate with the philosophers on Mars Hill, and he can't wait for his partners, uh, Silas and Timothy, to come meet him there and offer him support. And if you've ever been in a job where you lose a coworker, you know there's a lot of sacrifice you have to make to kind of go at it alone. But what happened is Paul was driven with this deep love for this Thessalonian church that he's decided as soon as Timothy came, rather than helping him partner in Athens where he really needed this help, he said, I want you to go back to this young church. I want you to check in on them. I want you to encourage them and help them grow in their faith. And I want to make sure that they're set up for success to do this on their own. It was an incredible amount of sacrifice for Paul to make. But he knew that it would be worth it because he had the bigger picture in mind. And that's what helps us understand something like uh, verse 6, that Timothy comes back with this report, and he says that he comes to us with this good news about your faith and your love. And it revealed to him that what was happening in this church was real, that, that they're, they were producing fruit with their faith, that the gospel really had taken hold. And there's this idea that, that, that there's a concern that what, what had started in them wasn't going to finish. And you might think that's incompatible with, with biblical uh, view of faith, but it's, it's actually what Jesus spoke about in the parable of the soils, right? That there's four different ways people can respond to the gospel. One is that they just reject it wholesale. And there's two of them that are kind of like fake or inauthentic faiths. Uh, one of them is the parable in the parable where it lands on the rocky soil, where it grows quickly, but then the sun comes out and, and it kind of zaps the, the plant. And that represents somebody whose faith, like they respond to the gospel, but then the trials and the persecutions and the hardships come, and then they wither and die because there's really no roots uh, growing deep. And this is where Paul sees that this faith is actually uh, uh, growing and flourishing them. So he's like, okay, this faith is real. And now my worries are kind of over on this. But he could never have known that if he hadn't taken this personal sacrifice by, by sending Timothy back. And many could have kept or uh, made the justification just to keep all the resources for themselves, to kind of wash their hands of this and say, you know what, I tried, I failed, we're just going to start over in Athens and I'll just hope that they're doing okay. But because of his love for them, and knowing that he had to make whatever sacrifice he needed to ensure the health of the church, now he's rested assured, and this church is now flourishing, especially because Timothy went back to help them along. And I think that's the application for us today, is that when you belong to a church, you belong to the church, it's more about what you can give than what you can get. And it seems pretty basic, but I think we, uh, if we're honest, have a hard time really living that out, because 
we live in this consumeristic culture that is really about if I'm going to give of my time, if I'm going to give of my resources or my money, then I want something that's going to come back to me of, of equal or greater value. And I don't want to go anywhere where I'm kind of operating at this net loss where I feel like I'm pouring in everything and getting nothing back. And so you get this kind of this church shopping culture where people will go, and it's important to try out different churches and see what kind of congregation works for you, but they're going with one thing in mind. What is, what is this church going to give me? All right, I really liked the music there, but I didn't like uh, the toys in the nursery and the, uh, the flavor of coffee, so I'm going to try the next one. And, and when you go in with that mindset, you're always going to find things wrong with a church. And so these, these people with a church shopping mindset of what can I get, they often go uh, these serial visits church to church to church to church, and they never really land anywhere because they're looking at church the wrong way. That God has equipped you with specific gifts and talents to give to a church, to make that sacrifice for others of, of service and love. And I think when we all come in with that mentality of what can I give to this church, the church flourishes, it grows, it's healthy. We're willing to make that sacrifice with and for one another. It reminds me of a story of uh, some friends of mine who who kind of went through that same process of going around, and they, they really liked a larger church that they, that they landed at uh, in, in the West Metro here. And they tried for months to schedule a meeting with the pastor. And after rescheduling on both sides, they finally landed with this pastor. And it started out by them saying, we're new to the church here. We just want to get to know you a bit better. And then the, the pastor responded with, okay, just tell me what's wrong. Well, nothing's wrong. We just want to get to know you and just, just know how we can serve the community here and, and be a part of this place. And the pastor was just shocked. He said, I, I have meetings scheduled for weeks of people that just want to come and complain that they're not getting what they feel they need. And this means a lot to me to know that there's people who are coming that just want to give. This isn't a far-out concept. And in this church, again, I don't think we, this is something we have to... Uh, work on. Many of you give in so many ways, but in our culture, church is this place about going and, and getting what you think you deserve and what you need, and that what you can give is usually the furthest thing from your mind. We need to be uh, asking the question, what can we give to our church, and how can we make this place and this people better than before we came? And part of that, too, is, is being willing to walk with people through the hard stuff. And that's where we see kind of the middle portion of the text here, a, a really big um, exp uh, expansion on this idea that it's not always easy. In fact, it's, it's rarely easy in the Christian life. And I think it's one of the biggest mistakes we can make is, is get this idea that when you become a Christian, the, the sun will always shine upon you. Uh, and you're always going to find a quarter in the parking lot before you get in your car, right? And everything's going to be well. Uh, even brand new Christians, Christians realize that, that even though their sins are forgiven, their lives are rarely easy. And it's not this, this life that's just completely free of problems. Often it's just a different set of problems that you face. We live in this fallen world, and, and we feel the effects of sin. And not even just our own, but the sins of others. There's a lot of hardships in this life. And for the Christian, they continue to walk through them, but with a different perspective and mindset. 
And Paul was really upfront about this, right? And that's what we read in the text here that's on the screen. That he sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them so that no one would be unsettled by the, the trials that they're experiencing. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. And I think that's a message we all have to understand as Christians is that, that life is not free from issues. It's different sets of issues with a new perspective. Right? And we, we really get damaged by this, this kind of um, selling of false goods. That when you are this Christian, life is going to be simple. And, we for, and there is a lot of blessings to it, right? But we forget all of the other scriptures that really warn us about this. Jesus said to his disciples, you'll be hated for my name's sake. That Paul wrote to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, these aren't the verses you're going to find printed on a coffee mug or on a t-shirt. But these are real verses we have to uh, consider. How do we face this trouble? Not how do I avoid it, but how do we face it? Well, the answer is together. Together. We do these things together. And we, we see that, that Paul just longs to be with this church who is definitely going through these trials. And they long to be with him and his, and his partners. And we have this tendency as Christians to always kind of want to isolate when we have issues. I think it's because we feel like if we're facing issues, it must mean that we're doing something wrong, that we failed, or just we didn't have strong enough faith. The idea is just not true. I encourage you to go through both the Old and the New Testament and, and find one believer whose life was completely free of issues and troubles. It doesn't exist. Even Jesus himself faced incredible issues and struggles. I think it's the idea that we have, to be, we have to learn to be real with one another, to be real with our pain, and to share those struggles and those trials with each other. We're going to be stronger through it. And the application here is that hardship, pain, and trials, like, these are not a sign of weakness or failure for the Christian. Okay? God can use these things to draw us closer to him, to one another. I think we look at all those times in your life when you're discouraged, when you're dealing with doubt or fears and the kind of those dark periods of your time. If you really look back on it, it's pretty likely that you're trying to go through that time alone. It may not physically alone, but you were really insulating your heart from other people and you weren't sharing your life. But you, you work out of those moments the moment you start walking with people through it. And that's the immense blessing we have as Christians, that when you admit your weaknesses, you feel this extreme liberation as a Christian. And Paul, who went through so much in his life, said in the book of 2 Corinthians, that for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what this tells us is that the Christian is okay to admit that they don't have life figured out that things can be really difficult, that they're, they're struggling through doubts and fears. And I think that's kind of the first step as a Christian is to admit, I don't have life figured out. But we walk through those difficulties, those pains and those sufferings together. Don't be afraid to admit your weaknesses to one another. Walk through them together. And these doubts and pains and discouragements 
ultimately are going to be used to, do, to draw you closer to God and to one another. And the last point today is, is one uh, we had already talked about, is the need to be praying together. And this is, this prayer is another one of those kind of vehicles of change that we don't fully understand. It's, it's still amazing to me that God says we can, we can talk directly to him about anything for ourselves or for others, that everything we ask, he will hear and he will answer. It, it's, it's incredible to me that this is even an option, but it's something we don't always utilize, especially for one another, but it becomes incredibly important. And Paul is one that kind of wore his life on his sleeve. And one of those things that you can, you can really see about Paul is his prayer life. He'd often talk about praying for these people, these churches, but then he would write out his prayer. You could see exactly how he's praying. And here's one where he, he writes about um, this, this uh, persistence in his prayer, this continuous day and night praying for this church. And there's this passion for this church to do well. They weren't just people on a list for him. It wasn't uh, one of many churches for him, although it was. These were people he truly loved. They're continuously on his mind and in his prayers. He's praying for them earnestly. And what this means is with this intense focus. It wasn't just these generic, Lord bless them, you know how, right? It wasn't that, I'll, I'll pray for you, uh, God, I pray for them. Uh, there's these, these, these specific ways that he's been praying for, and that we'll go through very quickly here. But I think that's what, the way we need to be praying for one another, is, is to be praying specifically for these things that are at the center of our hearts and our lives. One of these things he prayed for was spiritual growth. That God would supply for them all that's lacking in their faith. And I think that's important as we think about one another, that all of us are kind of at different uh, points in our journey with Christ. Some of us are brand new. Some of us have been doing this our whole lives, but all of us have the ability to grow in our faith. And we should be praying for those things in one another continuously, that God would continue to add what is lacking in our faith. He's praying for open doors. More than anything, he wanted to be with them, as we read in verse 11. That God would allow him to be with that church. And that, again, is just in all things in life, you're praying that God would do what we are unable to do. That he would provide the way for us as we seek his will together. He was praying for an increasing love, as we read in verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other for everyone else, just as he does, ours does for you. There's another thing that doesn't come natural to us when we consider that we're to love others as Jesus has loved us. That's a tall order. And we're always going to need to grow in that. And, and the primary way to grow is that God would be working in us, be praying for those things. <clears throat> Last is that they would have a worthy walk. He's talking about us in the context of Jesus returning, which... We're going to talk about a lot uh, at the uh, end of First Thessalonians and into Second Thessalonians. But it's this idea that as we are called to walk with Christ, that we do it in the most worthy way. That's hard to do, but it's made possible by our prayer and our commitment to one another. That we'd be praying that we all would, would really uh, shine when the rubber meets the road. 
Now, what we see with this is, is that prayer is one of those things that we're, we often do for one another. Uh, and sometimes we say, I'll pray for you. We never actually do. Sometimes we do pray for others. But we forget how important it is and really the end result of that. And Paul had this incredible love for this church. He cared so deeply about them in an authentic way. I think it's because he was praying for them frequently. And so he says, so the application here is that praying for each other is one of the most practical ways to express and increase your love for one another. You're all staring at your watch. I'm having a hard time. That means I've got to get to the end of my sermon here. <clears throat> my, my throat's getting dry. <clears throat> but when you pray for each other, I think it really keeps people at the forefront of your mind. It really increases your love for them. And, and as Steph had said in the, in the children's message, somebody saying, I'm praying for you, or praying with a person, is an incredible moment as a Christian to be able to really feel that love from them. And there's a lot we can do for one another. There's even more that we can't do for one another. That's why we pray. We ask God to do what we are unable to do. And I think through that vehicle, that mechanism as a church, we really see the church body grow and our love grow for one <clears throat> another. So as a wrap-up today, I think we, just had, we have to remember that the church is, is so much more than what we often reduce it to be. To be in Jesus is to be a part of his church. It's really our identity in him, our relationship in him that makes us such a great family. It's just a family, the church that's stuck together for thousands of years, right? We've been through a lot and we'll continue to stick together through many hardships and struggles. But it's made possible by sticking together, by walking together, to go through all of these difficulties and all of these joys together as a church not giving up on each other, by sacrificing together, knowing that there's so much that you can give in addition to what you can get, suffering together. And I think this is a hard part for us, is, is to want to be together in the hard times. But I think that's the, the times we need to be together the most. And finally, to be praying together, to be praying with each other and for each other. And God's given us that incredible tool that we can come to him with anything to seek his will and to lift each other up into his presence and his power. This is the hopeful and the healthy church we want to be. And we're not hopeful without God at the center. We're not healthy without us in the center of each other's lives. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for uh, the ability to be a part of the church. And, and for so many people, uh, they, they think about the things that are involved in their life, that it's elective, that it's something they, they choose to be in. But God, when we are in you, this is not a choice for us. It's automatic. We're a part of the church, that we have each other, that we can walk through all these joys and these difficulties uh, together. And so God, I pray that we'd be a church that <clears throat> continues to invest in one another as you invest in us, that we would glorify you with our lives, that we'd raise each other up as we love and serve one another in your name. So I pray, God, even though we're a church that's doing so many of these things so well, God, may you increase in us that, that capability to be such a healthy church as you're at the center of it all. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.